They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with, with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and bruising himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus said, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send him, send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. And the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and the people came to see what, what it was that had happened. And they, and they came to, to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed, in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from the region. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but he said to him, Go home to your friends. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went his way and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Father... I pray today, God, that you would open our, our eyes to see the glory of Jesus, the surpassing power and authority of Jesus Christ over everything in all creation, visible or invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers. Lord, you are in, in control. You are the creator. You are sovereign over it all. And Father, I pray that you give us eyes to see that we're in a spiritual battle. Father, give us eyes to see um, that there is there's evil in the world, that there's sin in our hearts. God, give us eyes to, to hate that. Give us hearts to, to despise our own sin and, and to push hard against evil. Father, I pray that you would speak to us today. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> I got a call this week uh, from one of our members in another service. And they, they said this. They said, Pastor, they said, I hope that you are going to speak this Sunday at least a little bit about how we should respond to the events of this last week. And they were referring to the, um, the, the school killings. Um, I, I don't actually know a lot of facts about that. I, I've not seen any news. I, I was at Carl's Jr. the day it happened, eating with a, a church member. And um, I saw the little snippets of stuff on the, on the TVs there. And then I, I read a blog post from the Gospel Coalition this morning. And that's pretty much my only exposure. So I, I don't have any of the facts or anything like that. Um, but, but, I, but I think the question at hand that, that very much relates to the passage that God has providentially put in our laps this morning. Is how do we respond to a 20 year old man who comes into a school with firearms and kills 20 little kids? Um, and I, you know, surely there's, there's a mixture of horror and sadness. Uh, Probably a jarring slap of the reality, the fragileness of life. Um, hopefully there's not despair or fear. But, but whatever the emotion, the emotion I, there's two things, two things that I think really make sense to me. 
that I should respond to that in two ways. Number one, I should hate my sin. I should hate my sin. Um, why, why, why would I say that? Well, you know, I, I don't, I, as I look around, I think we've, if we could have a conversation, we would all say, man, I don't even, I don't even get, I can't get, I can't get my head around that. I, I can't get my head around that kind of evil. I, I do not get that. I, I, I can't imagine it. I can't fathom it. When I start to think about it, it just, I just kind of shut down, okay? All right, and I get you there. I'm with you there. But, but here's the reality. If you trace where that evil comes from, okay, if you trace that in the line and you follow it all the way back to the other end of the spectrum, you know the really frightening thing? We got sin in us too. No, maybe not that, but it's sin. We, we have it in us to want to hurt people when we're hurt. We have it in us to want to tear down people. We have it in us to, to be prideful and selfish. Man, we got to hate that. Number one, we, we, we got to hate our own sin. And, and number one, number two, man, we got to proclaim and exalt with, with, with a feverish passion the gospel of Jesus Christ. The only thing on the planet that can save us from that kind of evil. Okay? The only thing. The only thing. It's only Jesus, okay? Here's the deal. People who love Jesus don't do that. that. That's just, that's the only thing you can say. People who love Jesus don't do that, okay? People who have been transformed by the grace of God. Only the grace of God can transform evil men to where they do not do things like that. First John chapter 3, verse 8 says, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil, you see that? Man, it's Jesus. And I'll tell you what, if we want to respond rightly to that, then it's those two things. I got to hate my own sin with a passion. And, and I, got, I got to passionately proclaim Jesus Christ to the world. Because he's the only answer for that. You know what? If you, you or anybody in our world did not believe in a literal devil, a being who intensely hates God and all those created in the image of God. You know, if, if a week ago you, did not, you didn't think all this talk about devils and demons and angels and spiritual realm, if you thought that was all the stuff of fairy tales, man, I just don't see how you can watch that little news report that I watched at Carl's Jr. I don't see how you could see that. And I don't see any other conclusion you can come to, you know? I mean, I, I, I can't get to anything else other than John 10, 10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I mean, that's all I can come to. I, I can't, there isn't any other explanation in my mind. That's it. I got one. That's all. That's all I can come to is what the Bible says in Mark chapter 5 that happened to that guy. That's still happening. You know, there, there's still a devil in this world. Now, now, now let me be clear. I, I know that there's sin in the human heart. I've already said that. Okay, I'm, I'm not trying. I'm not one of those people that blames everything on the devil. Okay, I, I know we're sinful all on our own. Our own sinful self is ugly. Okay, but here's the deal. I also know the devil stirs up sin. He fans into flame iniquity. He spurs on and magnifies evil tendencies. He saturates and bombards our minds with sin-producing deceptions. And I think that's exactly what we see in Mark chapter five. 
Mark chapter 5 introduces to us a man that we don't know his name. Uh, simply we know him as, as the demoniac is what everybody calls him. But in verse 2, here's the description of him. When Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met a man of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. Okay? A man with an unclean spirit. What does that mean? It means that this guy had a demonic spirit, a fallen angel who was set about to undermine the work of God. Actually, many. Okay? Many demonic spirits who were promoting rebellion against God, who were tormenting mankind because they're creating the image of God. Uh, I mean, that's what is happening inside of this guy. Uh, friends, there's more to our world than what you can see. That, that's a hard thing for a lot of people. But there's, there's more to our world than the physical things that we can see around us. There's more than money and commerce and dollars and sins and, and buildings and, and people. And, and, and There's more to all of that. There's a whole nother realm. There's a whole nother layer is the way the Bible describes it. There's a spiritual and a supernatural world of angels and demons. Demons are fallen angels who hate God and, and who hate mankind simply because man is created the image of God. Man is the work of God and they are hell-bent on destroying and taking down as many as possible. The devil and the demons are anti-God. They're against God. They're opposed to God. Now, they're ultimately defeated. That's what the scripture says. We're going to look at that here in just a minute. Their fate's already sealed. They are going to be cast into the lake of fire. They're going to be tormented forever and ever. You know, a lot of people always ask the question, well, if they know that, then why are they even trying? You know why they're trying? Because they hate God. You know? I, I, I mean, I think we can get that. Have you ever seen a movie? And this is probably an accurate presentation. Someone knows they're, they're going down. Someone knows they're defeated. Someone knows they're going to die. You know what their, their heart is? If they've got hatred in their heart, I want to take as many people as I can with me. That's, that's, that's the motive of demons. I just, I don't care. The, they, the demons, they don't care about that. They just want to hurt as many people as possible, however they can do it. They promote idolatry. They're idols themselves. They want to be worshipped. They want to put themselves in the position of God. They furiously torment, seeking to hurt and destroy and promote misery. When they can, they murder and destroy. Listen to what John 8 says about the devil. It says, you're of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he's a liar and the father of lies. Friends, that's what's real in our world. Now, you understand, I understand this is an extreme case of demonic control. Most of the time we call this demonic possession is what we call what we see in Matthew chapter or in Mark chapter five. Um, I don't believe that can happen to a believer. Let me let me tell you why I don't believe that can happen to a believer, because the Bible says about a believer that we are connected spiritually to Jesus Christ, that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. Amen. Man, wow. OK, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Uh, man, I, I can't get my head around that either. It's true, though. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. OK, so I don't believe that that that. That is possible in a born-again believer. But listen, listen, there's, there's, there's a lot of stuff we've got to pay attention to here. Because even though maybe demonic possession may not be possible for your life, demonic influence is certain. Okay? Let me say that again. It is certain for your life. Okay? Uh, how, how do I know that? Well, I read the Bible. It tells me that. Okay? Ephesians chapter 2. Listen, listen to what it says about people in general and about these Christians. Here's what Paul says about their life before Christ. He says, you are dead in the trespasses and in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. That's the devil. Okay? The spirit that is now working the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived. In the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We're by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. That's all of us. I mean, several times there I said, we, that's us. 
We, we, if, if you're saved now, then at least you can look back and say, you know what? There was a time where all I did was walk in the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, sons of disobedience. That was me. Ephesians chapter 6, even writing to believers, here's what Paul says. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. What does that imply? It implies that they're coming at you, okay? For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Man, do you believe that? We don't... Our deal is not with other people. So many times we make it with other people. My problem is all these people in my life and all these frustrating people and irritating people and accusing people and, and people that are bothering me and attacking me and making my... No, that's not your problem. Your problem is the devil. Your problem is sin. What you're wrestling with is spiritual forces. You're wrestling with your own flesh. That's your real problem in life. That's our real opposition. Most of the time, I think the devil doesn't operate as he does in, Matthew, in Mark chapter 5, simply because it's probably not in his best interest to do so. You know, a lot, a lot of people would ask, well, why don't we see more of this? Um, I think a lot of it is we, we have come out of a period of time in the United States where we've been a very secular nation. I think the devil likes that. You know, I, I, think he, I think he actually likes for people not to believe in anything, you know, spiritual. I think that's changing. Um, I, you, you turn on your t- If you turn on your TV and... I don't watch hardly any, very much TV, but as I flip through the channels, you know what I see? It's kind of weird, and I didn't see this when I was a kid. I see lots of movies about devils and demons and dead people and zombies. You see all that crap? It's okay to say crap in church if it's about that. That's what it is. Give me another word, and I'll use it that describes it. That's what it is. Uh, That's all this, that's what it is. I I actually think we're probably going to see more of this kind of stuff, because I think our nation's making a shift. We're making a shift to really be a more spiritual people. That's not necessarily good. Did you hear that? Spiritual spiritual can just mean, for a lot of people, what that means is they, they believe in spirits and Ouija boards and demons and, and goddesses and, okay. But I think our nation is, is shifting from a primarily secular, which is not good either, but, but to a, a more... And I think we're going to see more of this. But most of the time, the devil presents himself very, very subtly. So most of the time, we don't see this because uh, he knows that, man, if people catch on to that, they don't want any piece of that. I don't want to be that. Anybody else want to be that? You want to be this guy? You know, hanging out in the cemetery, you know, bruising yourself, screaming, naked? Uh, no, I mean, we don't, we don't want... Nobody... I mean... So I think most of the time the devil presents himself as a friend. He disguises himself, 2 Corinthians says, as an angel of light. Most of the time people don't even realize they're being influenced by him. Let, let me give you an example of that. Peter, okay? Peter in, in Mark chapter 8, Mark chapter 8, verse 31, uh, Jesus says this. He says, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Okay, so Jesus is saying, he says to the disciples, and he's like, all right, guys, here's what's going to happen. I, I've got to go to the cross. I'm going to have to be crucified. I'm, I'm going to have to die. You know, that, this is the plan of God. This is the will of God. This, this is God's plan of redemption. I'm going to be the Lamb of God. And Peter sits him down and says, no, no, this is never going to take place. Okay, and Jesus looks at Peter, verse 33, turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Now, now let, let me just say this. If it's possible that Peter, living in the midst of Jesus 24-7 as one of his disciples, if it's possible that Peter could be influenced demonically to say things that sounded good, 
but we're really against God's plan and Satan is maneuvering it the whole time? Isn't it possible that happens with us? Isn't it possible that there are times where, where you're being influenced to say things and do things that really are demonic? They really are against the plan of God. It's, it's not God's plan. It's, his, it's, it's the devil's plan to hurt you. So let's look at this guy. Let, let's look at some of the characteristics of, of, of this guy. I mean, I mean, I think it's profitable for us to look at, at him, first of all, because it's a great picture of what the devil wants to do with your life. Okay? You know, you know and I don't think we get that. I, 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 this is a great picture of where he wants to take you, all right? What kind of return are you going to get if, if, you, if you reject Jesus, if you reject the scriptures, and you follow the other plan? What kind of return are you going to get on that investment? Man, here's the picture, okay? Here's, here's the picture of what the devil, here's his plan for your life, okay? Now, now, now sin and the devil, they're going to promise you a lot of other things. They're going to promise you power and pleasure and excitement and satisfaction. It, I mean, that's, that's temptation, right? I mean, I mean, no, nobody's ever tempted by, you know, the devil never comes up and whispers and says, hey, hey, I want to ruin your family and all your relationships. And I want you to be so tormented and miserable that you, you self-destruct. Nobody's like, yeah, I'll take that. You know, I mean, no, no, it, ne- it never happens that way. It's always a pl- promise of excitement. It's always a promise of adventure. It's always a promise of thrill. It's always a promise of, of, of some kind of sensual pleasure, okay? But here's the deal. The devil's a liar, okay? Yeah, I mean, he's always going to come and say, this, this is what you deserve. This is going to make you feel better. This is going to make you happy. This is what you need. But it's a lie because sin's plan is to harm you, to hurt you, to bring misery, to bring pain, to bring separation and death culminating in hell. I mean, that's just a basic rule of the Scriptures, is that whatever sin is in my life, okay, that plan is to hurt me. Anytime I yield to it, anytime I, 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 I bow down to it, anytime I, I listen to it, it's going to hurt me. Now, the devil does not mind appeasing you. This is true. The devil doesn't mind appeasing you with some small pleasures if he can get his hook in you and drag you to hell. He, he will certainly do that, okay? But, but the clear picture of this man's life is the clear picture of what the devil wants to do in, in, in our lives, okay? So what's the characteristics of this guy? Well, let's look at several of them here, verse 3 and 4. See if you don't think that maybe you see these in our society in life. Verse 3 and 4 says, He lived among the tombs. No one can bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. All right, so first thing we see is of a man who's out of control and unrestrained, okay? Out of control and unrestrained. He won't obey the laws. Uh, he won't restrain himself. He's out of control. He has no self-control. Everyone's attempt at reforming the guy has been an absolute disaster. Okay, not even chains will keep him from his destructive behavior. It probably started out, you know, it probably didn't start with this picture. It probably started out with with a guy just kind of out of control in his life, doing things that were sin, doing things that were hurting others, doing things that were hurting himself. He probably he probably had people come to him in his life with stern words of correction. Okay, and he wouldn't listen. He wouldn't be reformed. He would he he would not he would not be reasoned with. He probably had friends and relatives. I bet you anything, he had friends and relatives that tried to take him in. Don't you think? I mean, I bet he had people that, you know, he probably had an uncle who's like, you just give him to me for a little bit, you know? He probably had, a, you know, they took him in. All right, here's the rules and here's what, you know, I mean, he probably had people trying to do that in his life. None of this impacted the guy. He probably, he probably spent some time in jail, I bet you. I bet he had some criminal offenses, probably led to that. He probably had some time in jail. None of it reformed his behavior. It only got worse and worse. The demonic control increased to the point where not even even chains would restrain this guy. He's simply out of control. He won't listen to anybody. He won't submit to anybody. He won't be reasoned with. He won't hear truth. 
It's a picture of the demonic. Now, do we only see that in demonic possession? You know, is that the only time? Do we, we look around our, our culture and say, well, you know, there's a few demonically possessed people and that's it. No, I think we see that demonic influence in a lot of society, do we not? Is that not a prevalent picture of our society? It's people who will not, who will not be restrained. No one's going to, no one's going to control me. No one's going to speak truth into my life. No one's going to tell me what to do. What kind of spirit is that? That's a demonic spirit. Number two, the guy's not in relationships and he strives against everyone. What's the significance that he lives in the tombs? Who lives there? Dead people. That's it. Dead people. Man, this guy's alone. I would say that it is definitely the plan of demons to keep you from healthy relationships. I would say it is definitely the plan of demons to keep you from hearing truth and from being loved on and from experiencing grace and from being blessed and from being sharpened and encouraged. And that's the way Satan works. I mean, the satanic plan is to stir up whatever he can stir up in you that will hinder relationships and that will cause you to be alone. And, and if not alone, then, then with other people that are just as broken and damaged. In fact, when we read this account of Matthew, we read that there were actually two of these guys. Mark just mentions the one. Probably Mark probably mentions the, the extreme case. Remember Mark's gospel is very short, very, very brief, very right to the point. You know, and, but, but, but the, devil, the devil's plan is to keep you from healthy relationships. 2 Corinthians is, is an interesting passage to me. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians 2. And it's talking about forgiveness, it's talking about the, the church forgiving this guy that had hurt them very, very deeply. And, and it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse uh, 10, let's start in verse 10. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. What I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ. And then verse 11, notice, so that, here, here's the final word of Paul as he urges this church to forgiveness. So that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we're not ignorant of his designs. <laughs> What does Paul finish up there? He says, man, guys, we got to forgive. Why do we got to forgive? Because we're not, we're not foolish enough to not realize that Satan is behind unforgiveness. Satan's design, his scheme is to get you to have a grudge, to get you to have bitterness, to get you to have unforgiveness and broken relationships and hold you right there. That's the design of Satan. Man, that's what he's done in this guy's life. Stoke the fires of unforgiveness and grudges and whatever. Whatever's led this guy to being completely separated from all the relationships in his life. Number three. Verse five. says this guy hurts himself continually. Look, look, look at verse five. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, mountains, he's always crying out and bruising himself with stones. You know, I think Judas is a great picture of what Satan wants to do with people, you know. He's going to use them and abuse them and then kill them. That, that's the work of evil, man. You know, uh, I mean, I think in our society, even in movies, you know, sometimes there's always a deal made with the devil. And it always involves, you know, lots of riches and power and all kinds of stuff. But here's the reality. As, as soon as the devil can get his hooks in you, he, he just wants you dead. He just, he just wants to kill you. And, and here what we see in this guy's life is, is just self-destructive behavior. You know, here's the basic, basic life rule. Satan promotes sin and lies, and sin always brings misery. Okay? Sin, sin always brings misery. 
That's a great, I'm always looking for those little tidbits that I can just kind of hang on my hat, you know, and just wear around. That's a good one right there. Sin always brings misery. Man, if I'll just remember that throughout my life, you know, whenever I'm upset, whenever I'm angry and I'm thinking about saying that thing, you know, that I know is sin, you know, but I really want to because I feel like I deserve to. You know what I need to remember? Hey, sin always brings misery, you know. It always does. It never works out. It's never good. It, it never delivers what it promises. Sin always brings misery. Okay? And, and this guy acts in a way that brings pain to himself and everybody around him. Okay? He, he, he is self-destructive in his behavior. And it would be really easy for us to think of people in our lives, wouldn't it? In our families who are destroying their lives. I mean, I mean how many times have you said that about somebody? Man, they're just, they're just killing themselves. You know, they're just making decision after decision. It's just, just hurting their life. Why do they do that? Have you, ever, have you ever, have those words ever come out of your mouth? Why are they doing that? Why, why are they hurting themselves? Man, they had this great opportunity, but they just shot it, you know, down. And, and now, now they're just living in a way that's just, just, man, why? Mark chapter five. What's this guy doing? Man, he's just, he's hurting himself. I mean, physically, he's just taking stones. He's just gashing himself. It's very common today, actually, is it not? I mean, people just hurting themselves. Why? It's the devil's plan. It's sin's plan. Whether it be dead or broken relationships or whatever, sin will cause you misery. It will bring you to harm yourself. That's sin. Sin causes us to act in ways that dishonor God, damage relationships, hurt others, hurt ourselves. It's a self-destructive behavior. I want you to, let's keep going here. We've we got to hurry. Verse 6. I want you to notice the interaction here. This is kind of cool. Notice the interaction between Jesus and the demons. Okay? So verse 6, it says, When he saw Jesus, so when the demonic oppressed man saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. That's interesting, isn't it? He doesn't run from him. He actually runs to him. Why does he run to him? He knows running from him is a really silly thing. Okay? Uh, this, guy, this guy understands who Jesus is. Okay? The demons understand who Jesus is. We could say it that way. So he, he, he runs to Jesus and he falls down before him. In verse 7 it says, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? All right, now even Peter and, 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 and Thomas and Bartholomew and James and, and, and the disciples don't even get that yet, all right? They're not even to that point yet, but the demon has, and there's no doubt in his mind who Jesus is. This is the son of the most high God, Okay? That, that, that's, that's, a clear, that's a clear picture of, look, the demons are very clear about how this thing works, okay? Jesus is God. He is sovereign. He's going to cast them into the lake of fire. They know that. Revelation 20, verse 10. Listen to it. It says, And the devil who had been deceived them, who deceived them, was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Man, these guys know that. They know that's what's coming for them. I mean, that's why they cry out, you know, hey, Jesus, Son of the Most High God, I jury you by God, don't torment me. It's not time yet. That's really what they're saying. It's not time yet, Jesus. What are you, you're not supposed to be here yet. You know, we, we've still got time. You know, no, not yet. That's what they, they know where they're going. They know what their fate is. They know it's sealed. You know, it's interesting to me as we, as we look at this passage, especially if we can, we're going to combine it with James 2 here in a second. So that's where, that's where I want to take you for a second here. But it's interesting to me that, you know, there's no doubt in these, in these spirits' mind who, who Jesus is. I mean, they know he's the son of the most high God, okay? There's no doubt in their mind who's in authority. I mean, they come and throw themselves down at his feet, okay? That's, that's clear, all right? But listen, I want you to hear this out. That's not faith. 
Okay? That's, that's important to understand. That's not faith. All right? They know who Jesus is. They know who their authority is. But they're not saved. They're not redeemed. They're not transformed. They're not repentant. There's no fruit of the works of faith in their life. In fact, James chapter 2 calls that just demonic faith. In James 2.19, James is talking about people who believe in God. They believe in the God. They're, they'll tell you, I believe in God. But there's no response of obedience in their life. There's no response of faith. All right, James 2.19, let me read it. It says, you believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. I like that word, shudder. Shudder. What, what, what is that? When you shudder, you, you, yeah, it's, you just pee your pants, you know? It's like, ah, you know? I mean, that, that's, what, that's, what, that's what the picture is here. It's like, they're like, Jesus is here, you know? Ah! I mean, they're, they're, they're trembling before him, okay? But listen, that's not saving faith. That's not repentance. That's not, okay, hear this out. That's not treasuring Jesus. That's not loving Jesus. That's not delighting in Jesus. That's not savoring Jesus. They don't do any of that. Okay, now, now why is that so important? That's so important because that is true of many people. That's what James is saying in James 2.19. Is there are a lot of people who acknowledge Jesus. They, they believe in Jesus. They would even maybe submit to him as far as, you know, I, I know you're God and I'm not. But that's not saving faith. Do you hear that? That's not saving faith. There are people who, who, just like these demons, they believe in Jesus, they know who Jesus is, they, they would acknowledge Jesus. They don't love him. They, they, they've not embraced him by faith. They don't want to follow him. They're not turned away from their sin and embracing the cross. They're, they're not delighting in him. They're not savoring him. Because they don't really have faith. That's not faith. You, you, can, you can believe in something in your head. You can, you can acknowledge facts and, and not, not trust it, not... Not, not savor it, not love it. So the demons, I guess their name is Legion. A Roman legion was between 2,000 and 6,000 troops. So how, how many demons were in this guy? We have no idea. We do know that 2,000 pigs went over the cliff. Okay, we do know that. But, but here, here's an interesting thing. How, how are you ever going to know? Because demons notoriously lie about everything, right? Maybe there was two. I don't know. You know, I mean, they, I, who can trust? I mean... You know, they say they're legion, but, uh, you know, they're probably just magnifying their, themselves. So verse 10, the demons plead that they not be sent out of the country. Okay? And I, I don't think that, I think that what they're saying, on, I, I don't know, here's where I kind of just am guessing, okay. I, I, I think, I think they're, they don't want to be disembodied. I, I think they want to be embodied. They want to be in possessing, controlling something. And so they're asking not to be sent to, to the lake of fire. I, I kind of think that's what they're saying. Um, I, I don't. I don't think it's so much. You know, don't send us out of garrison. You know, don't send us to China. I don't think they're saying that. Um, so, so they request to be sent to the herd of pigs. Now, why? Why? Well, some might say, well, they want to be embodied. They want to control something. But then they run them off the cliff and kill them all. You know, and it doesn't. It doesn't make much sense. And let me tell you what J. C. Ryle says. J. C. Ryle just simply says, man, the motive of demons is simply to destroy. You know, so they're they're just send us there. We'll we'll destroy them. We. I mean, it, they're just ravished in destroying. Whether it's men or whatever it is. Incomes. Now, here's an interesting question. Why does Jesus comply? Why, why does he let them go into the pigs? Um, and again, I, it doesn't tell us exactly. But here, here's my guess. Is that the demons going into the pigs is a very clear picture of what just happened. Okay? okay now, if you imagine this today. 
If you imagine this day and Jesus walks up to this guy who's completely out of control, broken relationships, people would say today psychotic, you know, I mean, mental problems, there's stuff going on there, we don't know, but this guy's broken. And and, and all of a sudden he's made well, okay? You know what people are going to say? Well, man, Jesus got good medicine evidently, you know, or Jesus got, you know, he's a healer, you know, he healed this guy physically, this guy, you know, they would completely miss the big picture. Do you see what I'm saying? And they might even get the picture that Jesus healed him. But they would mix, miss the picture of the devil and the demonic. But, but here's the deal. You know, you don't transfer physical things to pigs, right? You know, I mean, no, nobody trans, no, you know, pigs never get bipolar from their, their, their owners, you know. I mean, they, they don't get schizophrenia. They don't get epilepsy or anything else that people might ascribe to this, you know, this picture that we see here. Okay? And, and so, in my mind... There's this clear, dramatic picture of the destructive power of Satan. You know, Jesus was just giving a clear picture. Here's what happened. This guy was possessed by demons. We cast the demons in the pigs. Do you see what he did to the pigs? Do you see what they did to the pigs? They destroyed. I mean, this, this, this is a picture for us, okay? Now, the next thing we see, real quickly, is a beautiful picture of conversion. Now, now, many times in the scriptures, we see the doctrinal elements of conversion. Okay, you understand what I mean by that? The doctrinal elements of conversion. Things like um, um, the, 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 the revelation of sin by the Holy Spirit. You know, Holy Spirit, open our eyes to see, man, I'm a wretch. I'm broken. Okay? The, the, the opening of our eyes by the Holy Spirit to see the glory of Jesus. Okay? You know, that, that's a doctrinal element of salvation. We, we see our own sin. We see the glory of Jesus. You know, we, our, our eyes open to see, I can trust Him. I can trust Jesus. And I want him. And then, then, then repentance, turning away from sin and placing our faith, embracing Jesus Christ. And then regeneration, the Spirit of God making us alive, filling us with the Spirit. Okay, so in lots of places we see the doctrinal elements of conversion. That's what I mean by that. You see that? You know, that what actually happens you know, spiritually, doctrinally for conversion. But there are other places where, where we, we don't so much see that. But you know what we see? We see the picture of it. You know, we, we see Saul, you know, persecutor, killer of the church. He becomes Paul, missionary, you know. We, we see Zacchaeus, man, a guy that robs people for a living. And then now he's out on the street giving away half of his income, 50%, going to the poor, you know. And now we see this guy. We see this guy. After he meets Jesus, what, what's he doing? Look at verse 15. They came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the, who had the legion. Now, now, slow down. Slow down in your scriptures and just look at verse 15. Three things here. Sitting there. You're not impressed, are you? I think if you'd known this guy, you'd be impressed. Sitting there. But I like that. The more I thought about it, I liked it. I was disappointed at first. Come on, God, give us something better, you know? Let's see him preaching or something, you know? But now, sitting there. What's that imply? Man, this guy's, this guy's at rest. What was he doing 10 minutes ago? He was taking rocks and gouging pieces of his flesh. He's screaming out in misery. You know, he's breaking the chains. He can't be with people. Now what's he doing? He's sitting with Jesus. He, man, he's at peace. He's not twisted up inside. He's not angry inside. He's not in a rage. He's not out of control. He's got the peace that surpasses all understanding. Look, look at the next one. Okay, he's sitting there clothed, clothed. That's always good, isn't it? Clothed. What's that mean? Man, he's, this guy's functioning as a child of God now. He's mindful of relationships. He's mindful of propriety. He's mindful of modesty. He's decent. He's thinking of others. 
He's functioning in society. Then the last one is the big one. In his, in his right mind. And he's thinking clearly. He sees the world rightly. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Christ can radically transform. Okay, He can radically transform. Man, you may be thinking about your friend or your neighbor or your, your, your family member. Man, how hopeless they are. Let me tell you, they're not hopeless. Not with Jesus in the game. Okay? I mean, if there were ever, if there were ever a picture of the hopeless situation, it's this guy. If Jesus can change this guy with a word, he can change anybody. Amen? That's good stuff. That's good stuff. All right. Verse 18. As he's getting into the boat, Jesus getting in the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. Oh, that's beautiful. What's this guy want now? This is, this is the sign of a believer. Okay? What does he want? He just wants to be with Jesus. He's not interested in going back. He, you know, he probably had a business maybe before, or maybe he had things going on. Maybe he had his high school sweetheart, you know. And the first thought in his mind is not, man, I got to, you know, go back and try to get Susie now, you know. I'm in right, I got clothes now, you know. I got a chance, you know. I mean, you know all he cares about? Jesus getting in the boat. Hey, I, I'm get, can I get in the boat too? You know, I want to sit by you. I want to stay with you. I want to know you. I, I want to fellowship with you. I want to be with Jesus. It's a mark of a believer right there. I want to be with Jesus. I want to be with Jesus. But listen, Jesus tells him no. Now, not, not out of the fellowship reading, but why, why does he tell him no? You know why? Because now this guy's got mission, okay? Once you've been changed by Jesus, now you've got mission, all right? If you're here today and you have been transformed by Jesus Christ, God has saved you for a purpose he saved you for a purpose. Now you've got a mission. Now you've got a testimony. Now, 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 now you are a walking sermon, okay? I mean, can you imagine this guy going back home? Can you imagine his mom when he opens the door and she just immediately sees him? She looks in his eyes and she knows, my son's changed. And he didn't have to tell her about it. She, just looking at the guy, she knows, man, my boy is changed. Man, can you imagine the sermons this guy would preach with never saying a word? He's buying stamps at the post office and people are magnifying Jesus Christ, right? I mean, I mean, he's, they, just, they just see him. They're like, man, that guy, man, do you remember how he used to be? Look at, he's different now. What happened? I heard this guy named Jesus changed him. This guy's a walking sermon now. So what does Jesus tell him? Verse 19, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. All right, we're quickly, last point here. Look, look, look at the rest of the people. Verse 17. Well, let's read verse 16. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from the region. You know, it's interesting if, if you just look at the parallelism there. Verse 18 says, the man with the demons begged him that he might be with them. So you got one guy begging to be with Jesus. And you got another group of people begging Jesus to leave. Now, why, why would they beg Jesus to leave? Man, they've just seen maybe one of the biggest supernatural, powerful things they'll ever see. Why, why were they begging him to leave? And again, I wish we had more information here on this passage. But I'll tell you why I think they're begging him to leave. They lost 2,000 pigs. 
That's a lot of chops. It's a lot of ham steaks, isn't it? You know what? Some people care more about their pocketbook than they do the souls of men. True? Some people, if given the choice between prosper me and make me wealthy, make me powerful, or give me Jesus. Honestly, if that's the two choices, if they got to come down. Most people say, I want both. (laughs) No, but if that's the two choices, a lot of people are going to say, Jesus, would you please leave? If this is what you do to our herds, then please leave. For, some, for a lot of folks, the souls of men are just not very important. You know what's cool to me, though? If you were here last week, you know the setup of this story, right? Jesus has been teaching, preaching all day. Remember? He gets in the boat. They go across the sea. What happens in the middle of the lake? <laughs> the most ferocious storm they've ever encountered in their life. The boat's starting to fill up. It's going to sink. The disciples panic. They, they're faithless. They wake him up. Don't you care about us, you know? Jesus stands up, stills the storm, okay? Shows his power of nature. And then, then the boat, you know, lands on the other side. They get out of the boat. <laughs> the demon-possessed man sees Jesus, you know? This whole story happens. People gather. We want you to leave. Jesus gets back in the boat. You know the cool thing to me about that? Jesus crossed the lake, okay? The disciples went through the most horrific, you know, storm experience of their lives for one guy. For one guy. What's the value of a soul? I think Jesus would say, it's worth you giving. It's worth you giving a bunch to be able to to proclaim the gospel to somebody. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I ask you, God, to help us, Lord, to help us to respond in faith. God, we don't want to have a, God, we don't want to have a demonic faith. God, a a faith that just believes in you, but doesn't trust you, doesn't embrace you. God, doesn't delight in you. God, we, we, we pray, Father, that you would, God, that you would send us out, Father, with a testimony. God, that you would send us out, Father. To speak of your grace to the world. Father, we we ask you, God, to keep us from sin. God, I pray that we would hate sin today. God, I pray, Father, that you would move us in our hearts just now as we begin to sing in just a moment. God, move us to to hate the sin in our lives. God, help us to search our hearts, uh, to examine our lives. and, And God, just to pick the sin out and just to hate it, just to turn from it. God, give us a, a resolute passion to exalt Jesus Christ to the world. Father, I pray that you would do those things in us. Lord, make us obedient. Lord, I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.